Hey seedlings, let's learn and grow together today. This is Alexis hosting the Live to Sustain podcast, a student-run initiative coming from the Central Valley. Today we have Ariana Tariki, an incoming fourth-year environmental engineering student at UC Merced, here to talk about water pollution in the Central Valley. Let's get started. So what's something new you have learned recently during these crazy times? Oh gosh, about pollution or just in general? <laughs> In general, just give us a fun fact. Uh, gosh. I'm so bad at these things. I have to, like, really think. Um, does it have to be interesting? <laughs> no. Oh, okay. I did learn about aerosols in the bathroom possibly causing um, or contributing to COVID. Uh, what are they called? COVID. Infection. Yeah, infections. So how the aerosols like the biggest thing that it could tell us is just to make sure to close the toilet after you're done with it. And that would hopefully not spread as much aerosols when it flushed. That's a disgusting fact, but <laughs> there you go. But good, but good to know. So <laughs> close the lid after you're done before you yes. flush. <laughs> uh, what's your first thought when I say the word sustainability? What's like your very first light bulb? um reduce reuse recycle <laughs> which is kind of something that we always learned when we were younger like it was like the three yeah right something that sticks with you and you're yeah. like hmm. yeah mm -hmm. I, need to, I need to keep that in mind later yeah and the biggest one is reduce which I've learned a lot through classes is not like recycling should be the very last pillar and we should very much focus on reducing right priority of reduce yep. consumption first yeah Mm -hmm. So what first got you interested in researching water contaminants in the first place? Okay, so it's kind of a funny story. Is that okay if it's not super like professional? <laughs> okay, so when I first started at UC Merced, so it was like my first move. So it was kind of just like a big step for me and my family. Like my sister went to school close to us. My brother was, is younger than me. So we were just kind of, you know, figuring out all the things that I needed for school. Um, and one of the things that came up was water. So my dad was like, oh, we'll just buy water bottles. And me being like, okay, I'm not going to use that much plastic. I'm not going to, if I need to drink four water bottles a day, I don't want to, you know, buy all those first of all, and then have to throw them away or recycle them. So I just thought, you know, reusable water bottle, they have those water stations at school. And so I remember like distinctly going to the water station in my dorm. Um, and then seeing like one day that the light wasn't green anymore and it went to like the middle level. And then for some reason that just like sparked something in me and I was like, okay, so why, like, what is the difference? You know, I never really thought of like, okay, would that mean it's worse water? But it's just the filter, right? It's just a timely thing. So if the filter needs changed or whatever. But then I started thinking like, okay, well, why would the filter need to be changed? If it wasn't changed, if I drank this water, would it hurt me? And I, I'm kind of, I, I think a lot. And when I like think of bad things that can happen, I like research every possible thing that could happen. So when I moved off campus, because we had this water station stall on campus, so I felt kind of comfortable. But when I moved off campus, I was really looking for something, some kind of like Brita filter or whatever for the water. And so then I was definitely looking into like, what water does to humans and how it could affect me personally and others um 
and then that was also during the time when I was taking my intro to environmental engineering class um, and V20. So I was also learning a lot of other environmental things. So like my head just kind of exploded and um, I just started, I was interested in, in water quality. And so um, I saw that nitrates was a big one. Um, there's a, a couple other ones too. And then I just started looking at a bunch of maps and just kind of seeing like where things were where most contamination was and there was a big part in Central Valley and that's where Merced is so then I was nervous of course and then just that's kind of how it started so from there literally from there on I just started researching it and asking questions. Yeah so personal connection yeah that's really cool. So how have you been able to combine software like GIS into your research and then tell us what that acronym stands for? Okay, so GIS is Geographical Information Systems, um, and it, I've learned that it's one of my new favorite things and kind of almost like a hobby because it's like learning a bunch of different things, having to look up everything you do and find new ways to, to figure it out. But um, as far as software goes, it's been really interesting just to kind of see um, once you put like data points on there and just kind of seeing where it lays out. So for me, it's of California. So having California counties and seeing the well points in those counties and seeing the high well points and low well points, um, also with thyroid incidents, so kind of just seeing like where that lights up. It's been really interesting to see the relationship using GIS. Right. So you said it's more concentrated in Central Valley, like there's more pollutants that you notice on this mapping. So what causes these pollutants specifically to kind of accumulate here in the Central Valley? Yeah, so a lot of like what I've been researching is a lot of it is um, the fertilizers that we use in Central Valley production. So um, here in the Central Valley, um, a fourth of our food production feeds the U.S. So for a little part, the little part of what the Central Valley is, it feeds a lot of the citizens here so it's it's important and they definitely need um techniques to to produce all of the food but um a lot of the techniques so like synthetic fertilizer has been one that has been known to increase the nitrate contaminants which is one of the fertilizers they use to make more food production so it's just kind of like you know that balance is kind of off um and the use of manure so like from dairies um dairy, some dairies have also been studied for nitrate contamination in like their lagoons so yeah that kind of makes the central valley a hot spot <laughs> for contaminants right and then you have kind of combined a little bit of public health into your research too so what other adverse health effects have you noticed as a result of these pollutants um, so the one I'm specifically focusing on is thyroid cancer and trying to see the relationship between high nitrate contamination in drinking water wells um, to thyroid cancer. Um, and some other ones that I've seen from other literature are cancers like bladder, esophagus, colon, and stomach cancers. So those have all found some, or they've all been studied to some extent from uh, their relationship between that and nitrate contamination. But the one big one is blue baby syndrome. So that one has a longer name that I can't really pronounce, so I won't try but um so it's a disease that affects babies and it's basically because of the nitrate intake it limits their oxygen in the blood so then they actually physically turn blue because of that lack of oxygen and that's kind of like where the federal mcl came from 
of 10 ppm because from studies before, if they were over 10 ppm, nitrates were over 10 ppm, then they were seeing that a rise in the blue baby syndrome was there. Yep. But then they're finding other health disparities that are from five and on causing, or from nitrate contamination at five ppm and on are causing the different health disparities. Right. And ppm being parts per million within water, right? Yes. Yeah. So yeah, there's conversions there but yeah right so like I said my case is thyroid cancer but we're also seeing other like parts of the so like the thyroid gland is also getting affected in other ways so there's like hyperthyroidism hypothyroidism there's goiter which is like um, the enlargement of the thyroid gland and then the other cancers are like um, that have been associated with it are uh, I have it here actually it's bladder esophagus colon and stomach so there's quite a few that have been studied, um, and it's a little bit concerning, but I think, yeah, I mean, that's why we're studying it, though, is so we can kind of get the information out there. Yeah, definitely. Education is a big catalyst for change and creating mm-hmm. policies and research is that first step. So, yeah, great. Definitely. Have you noticed throughout your research that these issues are affecting people with lower socioeconomic status? more than others. Yeah. yeah, so um, definitely through my research that has been a big thing. So we have a certain indicator, so the CalEnviro screen, which is just, um, it kind of takes a bunch of different, I don't know what the word is, but it's just, it takes from a lot of different categories, which is like environmental pollution, it takes from socioeconomic status, it takes from health of the populations and kind of like gives these populations a score and like the higher scores are the ones that are more disadvantaged so we use that kind of scoring guide so to figure out like where the disadvantaged communities are in California and we figured out from the math that I did it's almost I think it was around 40 percent of the disadvantaged communities were in the Central Valley area which is a big amount of disadvantaged communities if um, there's that many disadvantaged communities on top of all these wells that are over the recommended, the 10 ppm, then just kind of causing like these communities to be affected differently. And just because ecosystems are different in the rural areas, so like access to healthcare and things like that, it's also affecting them in different ways. So yeah, I would say yes, we are finding that they are being impacted greater. Yeah. Wow. And I know you're really goal driven and I know that right now you're working on your publication for this research. Yes. Have you been able to adapt or add anything new to your research because of this constantly evolving time we're in right now with the pandemic? Um, in terms of like what exactly? So like by like having more time or like from learning more or what what do you mean? Yeah, have you noticed any kind of association with the pandemic or you think like the pandemic has provided you this opportunity to get the word out now or how do you think about that? Yeah, so I think one of the bigger things that I've noticed is um, obviously like having the time to kind of sit and think and realize and like like you said, like goal-driven and just kind of like making parallels and like what's going on is definitely a big part. So kind of seeing how people are responding to the pandemic is interesting. So 
seeing how health disparities that may be affecting someone that lives in a different community or someone that they might not know and like just seeing how people are are reacting to that kind of I won't say worries me but it's just it's, it's just interesting it's it's definitely interesting to see how people are are reacting to it so it's just kind of like okay with more research out there about health disparities in lower socioeconomics um areas like how would people react to that you know so like understanding that part or seeing how people are asking for the help and just like it really I don't know it's really about specific communities you can't really like determine like uh, a fix in all of the United States right so for coronavirus it's not like just kind of like okay everyone do this and then you're fine it really depends on like the community you're in what area you're in you have to det- like know the environment you're in um so like rural places are getting kind of hit later on why is that happening you know so like trying to figure figure out those parallels are important so that kind of goes to like community-based research right is making sure that your research is really community-based and it's not just kind of giving an overall picture for like everyone just kind of like yeah, this is kind of how it is for everyone because it's not usually I've learned that and I've also liked the opportunity that a lot of things have gone online, even though it kind of is sad, but it's giving people more opportunity that if you can't travel, you can just open up your laptop and then you're just kind of there in a conference, right? So I have been able to go to more like conference style things and like learn things that way rather than being afraid if I could drive like seven hours away. (laughs) So, yeah. Right. It's a brand new opportunity to learn in a different way and learn things that you've always wanted to learn but Mm -hmm. didn't have the opportunity, especially in current events. There's lots of things we can still learn from each other. And definitely you are affected by the environment you grew up in, you live in. So Mm -hmm. it definitely affects your choices and who you are, but education is a big (laughs) deal. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much, Ariana. Thank you for having me. And thank you to our listeners and don't forget to branch out and live sustainably.